Greetings, DAC family. This is a different type of setting than we've typically had, and I gotta tell you, it's the first time in 45 years for those of you that are worshiping on Sunday morning, then I am preaching on Saturday night at Lake Swan Camp, at Legacy Camp, and we're taping the message, and, it, and it's gonna be played as you're hearing it on Sunday morning. Um, I want to pray and then I'll explain a little bit more about that. Father, thank you for this opportunity to be together. I pray that you would uh, give us an anointing not only to speak, but to hear what you are saying. And Lord, as we have had uh, the book of Hebrews the last two weeks in our emphasis and faith has been the focus, I pray that everyone within the sound of my voice, whether in person or online or in whatever venue or medium, Lord, that everyone will have the tools to grow their faith to please you in everything we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the reason I'm preaching here um, by video for those on Sunday morning and in person on Saturday night at Legacy Camp is this, is that several years ago, Pastor Mike and Pastor Juan came up with the idea of Legacy Camp for two reasons. One is that they found that it was getting more and more and sometimes prohibitively expensive for families who had multiple children to send their children to the traditional camp that was a week-long camp. And then number two, one of the things that's a deep passion of mine and has been a, a burden that I've had uh, for as long as I can remember that they shared that burden was the idea that we need to equip parents and families in discipling their families. And so they decided and put together a plan for a weekend of ministry that was multi-generational where we not only had children involved but their families as well as much as possible. And the whole idea for the weekend of ministry and teaching and fun together was to help equip parents and give them confidence to go back home and really do what the Bible says in Deuteronomy 6. God laid it out for Israel. He hadn't changed his mind. That the home is the primary place where truth about God is taught and learned. And the primary people responsible for helping their children understand who God is through His Word and by the Spirit is, are, is and are the parents in the home and in the family. So Legacy Camp is designed to enhance that capacity. Well, the reason that I'm here uh, preaching uh, and we're taping this message is because that this year it just so happens, along with that same theme, that through some circumstances, all four of our children are able to be here this weekend and Nine of our 11 grandchildren are here. The only, we're missing two grandchildren and two son-in-laws. But other than that, they're all here. And Pastor Mike, and, and I guess you could say 10 out of 12 because we've got another grandson that'll be here in September and he's here too. And uh, so we're excited about that. And Pastor Mike so graciously several months ago said to me, he said, you know, Pastor, you always come back on Saturday night, the weekend of this camp and you've been there Sunday morning to preach, why don't this year I go back on Sunday night and we will tape your message 
at the camp and play it for Sunday morning service so that you can be there with your family on Sunday morning and not have to leave on Sunday night. And I was really grateful to Pastor Mike and really thankful because from my vantage point, the, the pinnacle of this Legacy Camp weekend happens on Sunday morning because after a Friday and Saturday of teaching and interacting, then one of the first things on our schedule for Sunday morning is for families to get together as family units, whatever that looks like, and have a not just a practice session, but a real session at worshiping together and reflecting on what's been taught that weekend uh, so that we can go home with confidence that we don't have to leave it at the camp, that we can turn our home into a place of worship and discipleship and a place where our families get to know God around His Word together in the power of the Holy Spirit as we trust Jesus together. So that's exciting to be able to do that. And that's exciting not only because of the conviction biblically, but in my own experience. Let me give you a little testimony from Pam and I with regard to this value system. And then we're going to move into he Hebrews, which timing is great because we're on our second Sunday in Hebrews, which is the schedule that I laid out earlier in the year. And it just so happens that's the perfect Sunday for the weekend of faith emphasis at Legacy Camp because... Hebrews chapter 11 is the Hall of Faith chapter, probably the most famous section of the Bible on faith in the whole Bible. And that's where we're going to be tonight. But before we, we, we dive into that chapter and look at that chapter together, let me just close with a final thought about this value system of D6, of discipleship um, Deuteronomy 6 style, where as you walk along, as you sit, as you go, in other words... Your lifestyle in your home and family needs to be built around the truth of God. Just integrate Christ and the things of God into your everyday activities. It's great to set aside a special time, but it's even better to just make the ebb and flow of your life and the decisions that are made be discussed around the values of the Bible, and you pray over everything. And that's very much the approach that Pam and I have taken throughout the years when our children were growing up. But to, to, to say the last story to pinpoint this and really nail down the value that I have with it, and it's especially significant since our children are here in this, uh, in this meeting, and that is this, that um, back after 22 years of pastoral ministry, I transitioned into the district of the Christian Missionary Alliance work before we came to Florida and was in that for six years, where you worked in the district office and you worked with other pastors and churches all around the district um, in various capacities, but you're not pastoring an individual church. And after several years of that, one of the things that I began to be concerned about, our oldest two daughters were both out of the home and married, um, and then... Our youngest daughter was in college at the time, and then our son was about middle school age. But our youngest daughter and our son had never spent, there had been six years that they had been without me as their pastor. And when the opportunity came up to candidate for Deltona Alliance Church, I'll never forget, we really were excited. The opportunity was before us. It's a big decision to move somewhere far away from where we were living and where all of our family were at the time etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But we came down and candidated, and we really felt 
a resonance with Deltona Alliance Church, and we really felt um, that God was leading us there. But still, it's a big decision. You wait on it. So I remember the, the week that we came down to Candidate. We were here on a Sunday and then the following Monday and a few days afterward. And that Monday night, Ken and Simone Connerly had started a Boy Scout troop at the church. Um, some of you all remember that. And we took our son that night to just visit with the Boy Scout troop. And so that night I went back to church and I pulled up and he came down after Boy Scouts was over, and um, he, he uh, maintains that he doesn't remember this conversation, but I certainly do. But I'll never forget him getting in the car that night, and he said to me, you know, Dad, this would be a big deal moving to Florida, but I think I might like it here. Now, I think the Boy Scout meeting was the, was the, the, the finishing touch for him in that regard. But the finishing touch for me in the call to come here was that, was that statement that he made that night. Because my biggest burden was my two youngest children had not had the opportunity to experience me being their pastor. And that was a huge burden for me. And so I made that decision ultimately to become and accept the call to serve at Deltona Lines Church primarily for the sake of my family. Because that's where my heart is in ministry, and that's not because of me. I think that's because of the Holy Spirit. And I think that's confirmed by the Word of God. So tonight we're in the Hall of Faith, which is really a legacy of faith. And that's what we're talking about. So in Hebrews chapter 11, and if you don't know the background of Hebrews, go back and check the last couple of Bible talks online and they'll give a little bit of an overview of the book of Hebrews. But Hebrews begins in chapter 11, verse 1 and 2, and tells us that this is all about faith. And we've been talking about faith this weekend. And our brother Cody King has brought messages to the adults, and others have been teaching and leading the children. And Cody has done a fantastic job, and so have those working with the youth, or the children. Chapter, one, or chapter 11, verse 1. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot, say, we cannot see. So that's the heart of the definition of faith. It's the reality of what we hope for. It's the evidence of things we cannot see. So faith is confidence in something and someone more particularly that we can't see. And it's... It's a conviction and a guarantee of something that we haven't necessarily seen happen, but we've wanted to see happen, and it's the present guarantee that it's a reality. It's a present guarantee that it's a reality. Now, what, what does that mean? Where does that come from? Well, faith is based on someone you cannot see, but faith is living according to God's promises as the primary authority and definer of reality in your life. And faith then comes from the Bible. Because the Bible is the Word of God. D.L. Moody, the great evangelist, said one time that he, he wanted more faith and he prayed for faith, but faith never came. And he said, I opened my Bible and started to read, and my faith has been growing ever since. I want to tell you, when the Word of God quickens and comes alive in your life, you have a confidence 
that you cannot explain. I never will forget, years and years ago, back in the 1980s, I was really discouraged in my ministry. I felt like I was getting nowhere, beating my head against a wall. And I remember driving down a road and just crying out to God, saying, Lord, why am I doing this? What is the point of this? I don't see anything happening. And the Spirit of God, supernaturally, and this all happened instantaneously. It wasn't a gradual thought. And I think that's the way it's going to be in heaven, Second Opinion, Chapter 3, but we'll see. But there was an information dump instantly in my soul. And that was Matthew 16, I believe it's verse 18. I will build my church. Just that phrase from Jesus. And it was the pronouns that the Holy Spirit quickened to my heart. He didn't say, Brad, we'll build our, my church, or we'll build your church, or we'll build whatever. It says, I will build my church. And I went this fast from being frustrated, discouraged, wanting to throw in the towel. Instantly, I was transformed. I started shouting praise to God in that car. And seconds before, I had been groaning and moaning and complaining. And so what I'm saying, God quickened that word that was hidden in my heart. He quickened that word to me that was His Word that transformed me from frustration and unbelief to faith. See, I, I didn't care what was going on or what happened. Jesus promised. That means this is all working out, whether I can see it or not, according to His plan, because His Word says it's true. It's not based on what I feel like or what I think or what, what I'll be said. His Word says it. It's done. There's no second opinion. The Bible says in Romans 10, 17, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Listen to me. If Jesus said that man does not live by bread alone, and He was actually quoting Moses, by the way, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. If you're not regularly not just reading your Bible, but thinking about it, thinking about what you read, just running it What I like to call it is daydreaming about the Word of God because of your excitement about the Word of God. When you do that, something happens supernaturally in your soul and you, you find yourself growing in your confidence in God and in His Word. You find yourself growing in your confidence. Now, I'm going to read several verses out of Hebrews 11 just to give us a taste for it, and then we'll kind of, kind of draw the net and bring this, bring this home with some practical application in our life. Back to verse 1. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It's the evidence of things we cannot see. Through their faith, the people in days of old earned a good reputation. By faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command. By the, see His Word. <laughs> that what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. It was by faith that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. Abel's offering gave evidence that he was a righteous man and God showed his approval of his gifts. Although Abel is long dead, he still speaks to us by his example of faith. That's the other thing. Let me, I'm going to interject here. Hope, stop the tape. Interject. Not you, Cody, not the tape for the... I'm talking about the reading of the Scripture. 
But stop the tape. And the idea is, listen to me. When you live your life based on the promises of God, your life outlives you. Do you, you. You need to write that down and think about it. When you live your life based on the promises of God, your life will outlive you. Because your impact will grow in effectiveness. And I'm going to illustrate that in just a minute from Hebrews in a way that will blow your mind. Okay, verse uh, 5. It was by faith that Enoch was taken up to heaven without dying. He disappeared because God took him. Before he was taken up, he was known as a person who pleased God. And it's impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to Him must believe that God exists and that He rewards those who sincerely seek Him. It was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God who warned him about things that had never happened before. By his faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world and he received the righteousness that comes by faith. Isn't that interesting? God told Noah he was going to flood the earth. It had never happened before or since. <laughs> it had never happened before. But the reality for Noah was God's Word. It wasn't the flood. You see, the flood was real to Noah before it ever happened because God had said it. And he lived according to that. I mean, he built a boat. And people are going, what are you doing, man? You live in the middle of the desert and build a boat. Are you some kind of nut? No, well, God said it. Yeah, I am a nut, according to you, but God said it, so that makes it real. His Word said it. And I'm going to live according to what God's Word says. I'm not going to live according to what you think about me, and I'm not going to live according to what you want me to do. I'm going to live according to what God says He wants me to do. End of story. Game over. It was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as in his inheritance. He went without nothing, or pardon me, without knowing where he was going. Even when he reached the land God promised him, he lived there by faith, for he was a foreigner living in tents, and so did Isaac and Jacob who inherited the same promise. Abraham was confidently looking forward to the city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. It was by faith that even Sarah was able to have a child, though she was barren and was too old. She believed that God would keep His promise. And so a whole nation came from this one man who was as good as dead, a nation with so many people that like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore, there's no way to count them. And here's, look at this line. All these people died still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it all from a distance and welcomed it. Listen, we live in a microwave generation in a Western society. We want everything yesterday, right? Abraham, God makes this outlandish promise I mean, the man was 100 years old when Isaac was born. Hello. Is that normal? I don't think so. He was 100 years old when, when Isaac was born, and Sarah was, what, 90? There you go. That's, that's a, a normal, you know, OBGYN. You know, here comes the dad. He's 100, and the mom's 90, and, and the guy goes, hey, I see this every day. No, I don't think so. But God had said it. Right? God said it, 
And, and God delivered. But here's the thing. God promised Abraham more descendants than he could count. And God promised him a piece of land that's far bigger than even the modern state of Israel occupies. A piece of land all the way to the Euphrates. Okay? How much of that land did Abraham own when he died? All he owned was a grave for his wife. Do the math. How long since Abraham got that promise from God, how long until it was fulfilled? Joshua was, and Israel, they fo- at least partially. <laughs> Lack of faith kept them from going the whole way, right? But the point is, 600 years. But Abraham died with the confidence it was already done because God had said it. That, that's what faith looks like. So what we see here as we read, I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but what do you see here when you read this chapter? You see that everybody that's spoken of as having faith, they did something. They acted on it. Cody did a great teaching this morning on that truth uh, in the session we had this morning. They acted on it. You know, James says that faith without works is dead. We looked at that passage this morning. In other words, true faith is always results in doing something different with your life. You know, we've got this... this, um, perception in the modern Western American church, and and it's like, well, you just walk the aisle and pray the prayer, and man, you're good to go. Well, you may be. I don't know. It depends on whether or not you truly surrendered to Christ and trusted Him. Because if there's not a change in the life, something's wrong. That's not me making it up. That's the Bible. Right? And and furthermore, when we go to the doctor, how does the doctor diagnose us? The doctor looks for symptoms, right? You know, if your toe hurts, it's a good chance he's not going to give you medicine for a head cold. Well, the Bible teaches there are symptoms of true faith. And what's being emphasized here in 11 of Hebrews is the symptom of true faith is we do something about it. May I commend you tonight and this morning? You're here. I want to submit that nobody captured you and forced you to come here. Now, maybe some of the children, and t- I mean, maybe they're, they're, they got a different idea about that. I don't know. But the fact is, that is a statement of faith. You're here in church on Sunday morning. You're here in the service tonight. That's a step of faith. Don't let it stop there. Let God have His way in the midst of that. Now we're going to get to the close of the message and the heart of the teaching here that I think we want to emphasize tonight in Hebrews chapter 11. Verse 6, But without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So notice there's two components here to what God-pleasing faith. 
In other words, God is looking for people who would trust Him. And, and he, he goes, at a girl, at a boy. Yeah, go. That's what, that's what God is impressed by. Look at how God has blessed one man's faith, Abraham. And then Sarah came along in the package. And through them, God brought salvation to the whole world through their descendant, Jesus. And look at the promises that are still being fulfilled to His descendants because of one man's faith, he didn't even own a Bible. You got a whole Bible. How much should your faith be stronger than Abraham's? And look what God did with him. And he believed that God was excited to deliver on his promises. Now, here's the breakdown. And Cody, Cody's definition, I'll quote Cody King... In this statement, he says that there's two components here that he who comes to God must believe that he is. And he quotes James there saying that so you believe God is one, the demons believe. So that component of faith is demon faith. Well, that's that's not going to please God. I mean, just acknowledging God's existence. Like the other night, I was watching a, a documentary on Benjamin Franklin. Well, I don't have any question that Benjamin Franklin lived. But I'm not depending on Benjamin Franklin for my life. Right? You see, but that's what most churchgoers today in America think is faith. Well, Jesus, yeah, I believe Jesus lived. Well, guess what? Get in line. The demons know more about it than you do. In fact, if you read the New Testament... uh, the demons and the angels were the only two witnesses. Of course, God the Father, obviously, at His baptism and in John 12. But they were the, they were the, all, the, all the people were unsure about who Jesus was. They didn't have a doubt who He was because they knew who He is because they had seen Him and they knew who He is. And so, just acknowledging God's existence is not enough to get us anything from God. But that we must be, that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And I told Cody, I said, man, the thoughts that you shared last night, and you alluded to this, I said, that's what I'm really hammering home uh, in this message today. And that is that the struggle we have is not believing that God is willing to reward you. The struggle we have is believing that His promises are really for us. That His promises are really for us. You know, when, for example, John chapter 14, Jesus is speaking to the disciples at the Passover meal, and and He says to them, greater things will you do because I go to the Father. Now, I'm not 100% sure what He means there. I mean, I've been looking at that for a long time, and I'm not going to just say, I think, what it means. But I'll tell you what, I choke on that one. Lord Jesus, I'm not doubting you, but I can't imagine doing anything greater than you did. How would that be even possible? That's the initial face value reaction to that. But you know what? Jesus said it. So let's trust Him, we'll fulfill it. Lord Jesus, today, I'm going to trust that that promise is true for the disciples, is true for me, because I've, I've trusted you and you've given me your Holy Spirit, 
and you were talking about the Holy Spirit coming to believers and empowering them to do incredible things, and I don't exactly know what that is, but you do, so have at it. I'm available. Use me today for whatever you see fit to fulfill your promise to me for this day. See, faith is the confidence God has our best interest in mind. The biggest challenges I've had in my life to my faith is simply this. When I prayed about something, and it's, it's, and it's grabbed my heart, and the opposite happens. Am I alone in that? You see what I'm saying? That's the test of faith. Because things don't always go the way we thought they would go. And we know God is good, and we know His promises are true, and we pray, and we see something happen different than what we trusted was God's will, at least we thought. How do we manage that? That's where the challenge comes to either stay the course and say, God, I'm going to trust you no matter what. I don't care what I see or what I'm experiencing. I know that you've got something better in mind because it's impossible for you to have something bad in mind. Your plans, Jesus on the cross, proves that there is no limit to your desire to bless me. Period. End of story. Nothing, nothing could exceed that. Your only son, suffering and dying for me, if you did that, you're willing to do whatever's necessary. So I'm going to trust you today no matter what. I don't know what you're doing. I'm confused. But you said you'd work everything together for good, and I'm just waiting to see what happens. So when you're facing those challenges, there's inseparable link between the Word of God and God-pleasing faith. Don't pray about that challenge. Don't pray about your struggle. Pray for the Holy Spirit to lead you to a promise in God's Word that says what He's going to do in this situation and then stand on that promise. I'll never forget, uh, pastor years ago, Dr. Keith Bailey was teaching on healing. He was telling about... He was telling about... Um, uh, his son being in a hospital in New York at the point of death, the doctors didn't know what was wrong with him. He was sitting out in the hallway by himself, just grieved and broken and lonely. And, and there wasn't even a Christian chaplain he could talk to. It was a Jewish hospital. And he said he just cried out to God. And he said, instinctively, I just opened my Bible to the Psalms and I started reading. And he said, I ran across the Psalm that said, He will rise from his sickbed. Or something, in essence, that line. And he said, just like I told you about that Matthew 16, 18 in my heart, he said instantly that verse went from the page on that paper to his heart. And he said, nobody was around me, nobody could explain it, but I went from absolute despair to total praising confidence right in that moment because God gave me that word and he said, five days later, I walked out of there with my son and we went home. As you're facing challenges in life, 
Pray for the Holy Spirit to lead you to the promise God has in His Word and claim that promise over this situation. That's how, that's how we overcome. is through God's Word and our confidence in it. That's the reason I prayed when I came to DAC. I said, God, you've got to give me a Word. I don't know what you're doing here. I'm not even really sure why you called me here. I know why I wanted to come, but I don't know what you're doing. And one morning... We got up about a month after we got in here. I woke up, and out of nowhere, Acts 1-8 was just dumped in my soul. And it just, you knew when you knew it. And it clicked in my heart, and I said, God wants to do Acts 1-8 here. And now we've got missionaries serving all over the world that were raised up out of DAC in these intervening years. I didn't, I didn't have a thing to do with it. That's, that's all God's work. That's God honoring His Word. And He wants to do the same in your life. You know, I'm going to close with a story. And I, Where am I on time, Cody? Am I gone too long? I've gone too long. How much long have I gone? Okay, well, you'll have to cut some of it. Okay. Bottom line, last thing. Many of y'all have heard this before. I don't know if it's true or not, but it sure does communicate the truth of what it means to trust God and please Him and believe His rewarder. It's like a little boy that kept asking his daddy for a pony for his birthday. And, and Daddy, I want a pony, I want a pony, I want a pony. Birthday came, looked in the backyard, and there's a five-foot pile of horse manure in his backyard. And the little boy runs out the back door and just starts throwing horse manure every which way, digging through the pile said, son, what in the world are you doing? He said, with all this horse manure, there's got to be a pony in here somewhere. <laughs> and there's a whole lot of times that you have asked your father for a pony, but it looks like you've gotten horse manure. Yeah. I'm just crude, but let's be a whole lot of times. Folks, there's a pony in there somewhere. And the pony is a triple crown winner. You can bet on it. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, His people said...